Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Phil Bishop, Emeritus Professor of Kinesiology at the University of Alabama, where he's taught now for 34 years. In 2006, he was appointed the first professorship at Alabama, named after Coach Paul Bear Bryant. As a Christian professor, Phil most enjoys the opportunities he has to love and care for his students. One of the ways he shows this love is speaking often on how to succeed at college and at life. His talk, How to Get Better Grades and Have More Fun, is full of extremely practical and useful tips gleaned from over four decades as a student and as a professor. Not only does Phil provide helpful tips to get better grades, he also weaves in lessons important to succeeding in life and sustaining a vibrant relationship with Christ. Phil, welcome to the show. Good to be here, sir. You speak a lot to help students get better grades and at the same time enjoy their time in college. Why would a professor care about students making better grades? Uh, You're at a large research university and it It's not something that most professors in places like University of Alabama are as focused on as as research. I'm glad you asked that, Stan. Um, I retired uh, just over three years ago, and I knew I would, I loved my job as a professor, and I knew I would miss it. But what struck me after I retired was how much I missed students. I used to tell students first day of class, I want you to know I love you. And you probably get tired of all your professors coming in and telling you how much they love you. (laughs) But I really mean it. You know, students are a great group. They are on their own for the first time. They may have gone to summer camp, but now they're on their own mostly. Mm-hmm. They're living often in a dorm or apartment for the first time. They get lots of opportunities to do good things and not so good things. And so it's just a it's just a, a marvelous time. I don't think students really comprehend what a great time university college is. And so um, I love seeing them. I love helping them. I love seeing the light come on, Mm. you know, when a student gets something difficult or challenging or something registers, you can just sort of see it. And that's just a great thrill for me. At places like the University of Alabama, I'm sure you've had a chance to see many students come through who are shocked by a professor saying, I I love you, but what what a ministry in their lives. When you get into the specifics of, of loving them, what's that look like, uh, especially when students are doing poorly? How, how, how do you help them identify some of those causes and address those issues? Well, as I said a minute ago, you know, university is a great opportunity. I mean, at our university, there were up to about 38,000 students, mm. which means There's about 19,000 of the opposite sex, and a lot of those are good looking. And so uh, so that's that's a a distraction. Every week 
at our university, there's some sporting event that you can attend. Oh, sure. There's just all kinds. There's clubs, there's interest groups, there's opportunities for international travel. There's all sorts of things students can do. So it's easy for students to be totally distracted for why they are paying tuition or their parents are paying tuition or they got this scholarship and somebody's paying for this. And so you can just be spread so thin that actually going to class and studying becomes secondary. I once had a student at registration. We used to do live registration. And this student said, I need to schedule my classes between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And we said, why those hours? We offer classes from 8 in the morning till about 5 in the afternoon. He says, well, I party at night, so I don't get up until just before 10. At 2 p.m., the sun tanning is really good, so I have to squeeze in my class time between 10 and 2. Oh, so, my. So it's easy to, to just be totally distracted. It's easy to be so distracted you don't go to class. Hmm. You know, if you're not going to study outside of class, that's bad, but at least go to class. You're paying a very high fee for some teacher, some professor to tell you what they know and try to communicate this subject matter. Right. Go to class. The further forward you sit, the better your grades. Also, take notes. I mean, if you follow my advice, which I recommend, (laughs) and you're in class, don't waste that time. Be writing notes, except for language classes. All your exams will be written in some form or fashion. It may be multiple guess, multiple choice, or it may be essay, but you're going to be writing answers. Mm -hmm. Get practice writing the answers now. Just the act of writing will help you Mm -hmm. cement some things in your mind. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of research on that, just the significant spike in retention when you actually write something down as opposed to just listening to it. And professors will notice if you're sitting there dozing off or if you're writing. Now, I graded everything anonymously, so it didn't do you any good, but at least they're more sympathetic to you. Sure. <laughs> and uh, willing to talk during office hours. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I tell students every opportunity, learn to ask good questions. Because you're going to meet some fabulous people. In fact, I've got a question for you, Stan, when we get done here. But learn to ask good questions in class. Now, some professors don't like questions. Write your question down after class or ask if you can come to office hours and ask your questions. But asking questions I I used to tell my students in my class, you ask me enough questions, I'll teach you personally. Mm -hmm. If you've got an interest area, you ask me questions about your interest area. You know, how does this apply to physical therapy? How does this apply to American football? How does this apply to whatever you're interested in? Mm -hmm. And I'll answer your question and I'll be teaching you personally. So learning to ask good questions plus 
it slows the professor down. <laughs> and so say more about that. Well, I, I tend to talk fast. I tend to cover lots of material. Mm. I taught at eight o'clock in the morning for 75 minutes. I was prepared to teach 75 minutes. Now I'll answer every question of every student, but I'm going to teach till nine 15 and I'm going to cover as much material as I can. I'm going to have visual aids because some people seeing is very helpful, but I'm going to cover everything. Now, if you ask me questions, like say, I'm going to direct the class more towards you and I'm going to slow down to answer your question. And if I say something you don't understand, I'll say it a different way. I'll try to clarify. Yeah, it makes sense. What other advice do you have for students who are doing poorly? Um, Do the assigned reading and do it before class. So read and read before it's due. Now, as you're reading, you should always have a pencil in your hand or pen. But the point of the pencil is when you read something and it doesn't register or it doesn't make sense or you've got questions, write them down. I recommend underlining or at least making notes of key points. Use your pencil to make notes. And if you notice you haven't made notes in a while, several paragraphs, you're probably not paying attention to what you're reading. Hmm. And then the fourth use for the pencil is if you fall asleep, it'll hit you in the head and wake you up. (laughs) So, but by doing that, you come to class, even before class, if the professor happens to be there, you can say, Hey, sir, ma'am, I've got a quick question. You got a question. We need to start a class. Yes, sir. I did the reading. Oh, you did the reading. That's good. And I didn't understand when the author was saying this, And then if the professor talks about something different, you need to go back and and make a note because, whoops, I missed something important. Because even with my 75-minute lectures, I couldn't cover everything in great detail. Sure. So there's more in the text than I can cover. But if I covered something, it's because it was of key importance. Right. Yeah. Not. It doesn't make sense to ask, is this important? Uh, (laughs) It, it it it's all important. That's why it's in the book or the lecture. It's you know it's more more the question. How as you said, how, how does this relate to what I'm interested in, or, or or something else we're talking about? Yes, sir. And and yeah, don't ever ask that question. Is this important? But if you will watch and listen, you can figure. If I've got it on a slide in writing, it's probably important. Mm-hmm. If I say, "Hey, be sure and get this." It's probably important. Some folks, their posture will change or their face will change or their Mm. tone will change. And so if you'll study your professor, which they may not be that interesting, but you're studying so you can make better grades so you can have more fun. Efficiency. Most students are not very efficient in their study. Mm. You know, they're sitting in class because somebody told them to go to class. I made my students come to class. I probably had the best attendance. Why is that? Because I love them. And I know if they were in class, they would do better in my class. I had very few failures 
in statistics for non-mathematical people. So, Wow. Let's talk more about working ahead and planning. How, how can students effectively do that? Well, the, the simplest approach, and if you will follow this direction, your GPA will go up probably a full point, maybe a point and a half. So if you're making a 2.5, I can get you up higher than a 3.5. My suggestion, treat the university as a 9 to 5 job. Mm. You will soon be in the workforce and you'll be working 8 to 4 or 9 to 5 or an 8-hour day. Mm-hmm. If you will start Monday morning, let's say 9 a.m., sleep a little bit, you've got class. Well, that counts in your work day. You don't have another class till noon. You're not off. You're still on the job. Right. Monday through Friday. Saturday is a day off. Sunday is Shabbat, Sabbath, a day of rest. Don't study on Sunday. I started doing this as an undergraduate, Hmm. and I had great grades, and it paid off for me. But Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, well, I'm caught up. I've got all my assignments done. Work ahead. Read ahead. Make notes as you read ahead. Go to your professor. This will blow their mind and say, I'm caught up with all my studies. I want to work ahead. What can I be working on? I've never had that question. You just scored. Now, oftentimes you have a big project or paper due. Well, I'll start that the night before. No, you're nine to five. You get caught up. You're working ahead on that project. Mm -hmm. Now, to work ahead as a professor on my calendar I would say I've got a grant proposal due the end of April. Well, this is not the end of April. Yes, but it's due then. So I want to have it done two weeks early. Why? Because if something goes wrong, it'll be a week early. If two things go wrong, it might be three days early, Mm -hmm. but it won't be late. Mm-hmm. You lose points for lateness on every assignment I know of in school. And so working, thinking, planning ahead takes stress level way down. And there's enough stress in life as a student. Lower your stress by working ahead and get some exercise, which is a great stress relief. Hmm. That makes so much sense. What else What else did you learn throughout your, your years as a student and a professor? These are great tips. What, you got any more? I would recommend office hours. Every faculty member, uh, any place I've ever visited requires office hours where I'm available to my students. At least once per term, go to office hours with your professor. Earlier in the term is actually better. Earlier, just because it, it, it starts with the relationship, gets you on the radar screen. They know you're interested and committed, right? And all those things are important and they help. But go to office hours and say, my future is I want to become an optometrist. I want to become a playwright. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what advice do you have for me? And some of these people will give you a very short answer. 
That's okay. You, you, you tried your best. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand something, if you can ask in class on their time, that's the best. But like I said, a few professors I have heard, I haven't seen this, don't want questions. Well, after class or before class or office hours, office hours, it's just you and them. They really should answer your questions in office mm-hmm. hours. Mm-hmm. If they tell you, well, you should do the reading. I did the reading. Here are my notes from the reading. Right. Here's my underlining. So they know, hey, this is a legit, legit student. I, and that's such an important thing to talk about or to mention. I wish I had known that as an undergrad. I didn't discover the importance of asking questions until I was in grad school. And, uh, and I found actually that if I went up to the podium after class, even if I didn't know what questions to ask, somebody else in that class did. And they asked a question that I should have been wondering about and didn't know enough to wonder about. But when they asked it, I thought, oh, that's a good question. I wonder what he's going to say about that or she, she has to say about that. And so, uh, you know, it's not always your questions. It's others' questions. And just being there to, to, to listen is sometimes helpful. Absolutely. And these professors, if they're teaching in their major area, they're very interested in economics or architecture. Oh, yeah. And so the fact that you're showing some interest means a lot to them because, you know, it's like admiring their baby and saying, what a cute baby you have. Absolutely. Let me tell you one thing I did as a professor. Hmm. Grades are arbitrary units. You know, you could work real hard and get a C in Professor X's class and get an A for the same level of work in Professor Y. So grades are kind of arbitrary moving around. I offered my students extra credit. Now, it had to be extra. If I'm covering in a class, it's not extra. had to be on topic. Hmm. But I was using grades to leverage learning. Now, what I discovered after doing this for years and years and years Guess who did the extra credit? The top students. What I intended was that the poorer students, those with D's and F's, would do extra credit to pass the course. Mm-hmm. Almost never. Hmm. If you get a chance to do extra credit, why not? Mm-hmm. The lady was named Kelly, young lady, set the record 16 points added to her final average. Guess what grade she had without any extra credit? 96. She was at honors day, no surprise. I met her parents. I said, Kelly, could I tell your parents about your grade? Well, she kind of blushed and gave me permission to tell her parents. I said, Kelly, your daughter has a 96 average. She set the record with 16 points of extra credit. That gives her a final grade of 112, mm-hmm. A plus, 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 plus. And they said, yep, that's Kelly. So, you know, be a little bit like Kelly. You don't have to go to that extreme, but you get a chance to do extra credit. Another point, old exams, if it's legal. Now, some folks, some places, it's illegal to look at old exams. Most places, it's not. 
Mm. Well, I had a pool of, you know, 25 or 30 questions for each exam, and I would draw five or six of those from the pool. But it repeated over and over. You know, my smartest students, I'm sure, found students who had me before and said, okay, you've had one of Bishop's exams. What advice do you have for me? Mm -hmm. Well, do this, this, and this. And like I say, they're essay exams, so, you know, you couldn't look over and copy from somebody's paper, but certainly thinking in terms of an essay, well, what question would I ask if I were the professor? Why don't I write out an essay answer? Mm -hmm. And so looking at old exams will help you know what's important, what kind of questions are asked, are they tricky, Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of things are we looking for, and um, some profs, like I say, what most students don't understand at a large university, I was not paid to teach. Right. I was paid to do research and write grant proposals. I tried to do a good job teaching, but not everybody does. And so some profs are lazy. They'll give exactly the same exam semester after semester after semester. Now, I don't want to mislead anybody listening to this. You know, grades and learning are not the same thing. You really need to learn the material, not just get good grades, but you got to make good grades to go to grad school or to get in medical school or to go whatever. Certainly nobody gets in trouble for making too good a grades. Students occasionally get in trouble for making too bad a grades. But um, yeah. So to your point about if you can find legally the questions and prepare ahead, or sometimes I've had professors give me the questions and say, uh, I'll ask eight of these 12 questions. Well, the thing that I often would do that I found very helpful, again, didn't really discover this till I was in grad school, wish I knew this as an undergrad, was I found a group of about four other guys who also were serious students, and we would make a study group together. We would divvy up the questions. Each of us would take a couple of them and just research that question and get ready and come and teach that question to everybody else. So we knew those couple questions backwards and forwards and they could ask us questions and drill in and we needed to be prepared to answer. So we really understood that, but then they got a chance to teach their questions and we got to ask all the things that we weren't clear about and they could help us get clarity in a way that, uh, was similar to what we might have been able to ask the professor about, but now, uh, you know, office hours were over or, uh, you know, the class is over, we're preparing for finals. It was so helpful to have a study group like that. And, and to your point of, of getting questions and being able to really prepare well to answer those on the final. And of course, teaching something, as you just said, is the best way to learn it. Mm-hmm. And so, If you're teaching some of your colleagues, you're going to really get it in your mind. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I did as an undergraduate that really helped me, every semester I had one place in the library, in my case, I studied. Mm. And so I went to the Naval Academy and we all ate dinner together. I had my books, notebooks, everything ready I would come back from dinner. I would not sit down. I would not pause. I would pick up my books, go to my study location. In the library, there was no distraction, no music, no people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, milling around too much where I was. And 
I would sit down. I would go into study mode. It was just automatic for me. Mm. And I studied, I studied until a set hour at the time was up. I'd go back to my room. And if you're doing the nine to five business, you could create yourself a little office somewhere that nine to five, you're in your office working. You're either in class at the library doing work or working in your office. But what do you, what do you mean office? You don't mean rent someplace somewhere, do you? No, no, no. I mean, maybe a desk in your dorm room, maybe a place in the library, Hmm. a study carol. Hmm. And so by having one place with no distractions and you know, when you lay down in bed, sleep scholars will tell you, don't watch TV, don't read, mm-hmm. sleep in bed. Mm-hmm. Why? Because when you get in bed, your brain says, oh, this is my sleep time and place. Right. Same thing with study. When I sat down at that same spot, I changed every semester to give myself a little variety. But in the library, in that spot, I'm in study mode, not play around, not Google, not telephone not gaming. If you love video gaming, I understand. Not nine to five and not in your study place, not in your office and a mm-hmm. you know, quote office. Mm-hmm. So at your desk or in the library, wherever you pick your carol, you're not playing video games. If you want to listen to music in the background, put your headphones on. It wouldn't work for me because I'm ADHD. Yeah, and, and you've also mentioned in this conversation a few things I want to uh, state explicitly. You've implied them, I guess, and uh, let me just mention them, and you might want to say a little more about a few of these. Uh, you've implied the importance of the classroom, the money that is being spent for those hours, and so the importance of not only going to class, but getting, getting there on time even early so you're well-prepared. Uh, you've implied the importance of having a very well scheduled work week. So you can use those bits of time between classes or here and there, uh, for study and, uh, other preparation. Uh, you've talked about taking good notes and, uh, good ideas for getting, uh, prepared for exams, especially written exams. Anything else you would want to say in addition to all these things that I think are just so helpful? Well, I was a I was a full professor taking a Spanish class at my university. My heritage is Spanish from Cuba. And I was taking a Spanish class and it dawned on me I am a visual learner. Mm. A Spanish professor could introduce a new word or vocabulary or sentence or anything, and they could say it, nothing for me. If I could see it, if they wrote it on the board, I got it. Now, I was a full professor discovering this. I should have realized, and and some of the educational experts have discounted learning styles, but I think at least there's a grain of truth here. I'm a visual learner. I look at the diagrams. I look at the illustrations. I look at what's written down. Other people 
the people who make good grades easily may be audio. They hear something, it sticks with them. Now, that doesn't work for me, but it works for some folks. Some people are a read-write. You know, they're taking those notes like I suggested. They've already got it just by reading and writing. And the people I feel worse for are kinesthetic people. People have to do something to learn it. And, of course, with sports and activities and art, kinesthetic is great. Unfortunately, for purely intellectual material, there's not much you can do. But for those folks, probably writing is a kinesthetic experience. And so by writing notes in class and writing notes before class, they get some kinesthetic. And so know thyself, that old dictum, I think is really helpful for students. What works for you? And I, I did tons of experiments as a professor with humans. I was a human physiologist. And the key thing I learned is that God made everyone different. And so learning yourself and knowing what works for you may not work for me, may not work for Dr. Wallace, may not work for this person or that person, works for me. If it works for you, pay attention and use that information. So pay attention to yourself. Well, and that makes so much sense. Uh, An earlier guest I had on, Pete Mara, is an expert in online learning, and he talked a lot about learning styles as well. Uh, I wasn't aware of it even being critiqued, but you say there are some who challenge that notion. It just seems obvious to me people are different and have different learning styles. When I first read about this learning style, of course, I applied it to me, Sure, like I'm telling students to do, and this visual thing. I mean, I taught visually because I knew a percentage of my students were visual learners. Right. So it's written down on the board, the key words, not all the words, but the key words are on the board. And so I really think it, there's at least a grain of truth. And the educational researchers, you know, like I say, all researchers, we have to quibble about things to stay busy. <laughs> and maybe that's it. Yeah. We will return to our show in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Guests on the College Faith Podcast often discuss how important Christian professors are in the lives of their students during these impressionable years. Christian professors are examples to non-Christian and Christian students that a person can be educated and still follow Christ. And they can have a lifelong influence as mentors to Christian students during their college years. Please consider helping to equip Christian professors to make a difference on a campus near you and worldwide. To learn more, please visit www.global-scholars.org. I also invite you to check out my other podcast, Thinking Christianly. This College Faith podcast explores more the practical issues of flourishing in college and in life. The Thinking Christianly podcast, I, along with Dr. J.P. Moreland, discuss more of the ideas that shape the university, our culture, and our world. To learn more, Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now, back to the show. These are all such good tips. I'm wondering if there, uh, if there are ways you see students trying to game the system and, uh, and 
do what uh, what they think will get them ahead, but at the uh, at, at the end of the process, really is harmful to them. What are some, what are some cautionary tales you can tell us? I had one of my all time favorite students was Joe H. And Joe was a smoozer. If you know what a smoozer is, you know, he'd come in and talk to me and, you know, how are you? And just make small talk. But he wasn't studying essay exams. You can't fake your way through those. You can't guess your way through those. And so Jay failed my class because he was counting on his smoozing Mm-hmm. influencing me personally. Now, he probably didn't, I told him, he probably didn't register. I graded anonymously, and I like Joe a lot. In fact, we're still friends, and that was probably 2015 or something, so it's been six years, we're still friends. But anyway, failed my class, showed up the next semester in my section, <laughs> and took it again and passed it this time with a high C, maybe even a low B. But he realized, hey, smoothing's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Do you have any final tips for students, things you haven't covered? You've said so much. I don't know if there's anything else to offer, but anything uh, you want to say? Well, I mentioned exercise, and uh, I'm an exercise person. For students, you don't need to exercise for your health. Your health you're disgustingly healthy because you're 20 years old or 21 or 22, You need to exercise for stress relief. School can be stressful. Families, your parents and siblings can be stressful. Uh, Life, paying for things, uh, car problems, relationship problems with friends or former friends can all be stressful. Mm. And one of the things that people don't think about for exercise is taking a walk is great for stress relief. Taking a bike ride, a jog, a swim, whatever you like to do, lifting weights for some people, not for me. I do it, but I don't enjoy it so much. Uh, Push up, sit, I mean, get some stress relief by exercise. Find a Christian group on your campus. I guarantee you, with only one university exception, you can find some Christian groups on campus. Find a local church. If there's nothing on campus, find a local congregation. Um, Jesus was talking to his graduate students. Now, Jesus, Rabbi, Rabboni, was the greatest professor who ever lived. Talking to his graduate students, he said this, Matthew 16, 26, what does it profit a student to earn a bachelor's, a master's, a PhD, <laughs> and lose her own soul. Hmm. So God put us in relationship. He put us in congregations for a reason. So while you're doing your academic work, don't neglect your spirit and your soul. Don't neglect the Holy Scriptures. You know, this is really God's owner's manual, and you're free to disregard it. Same thing with your automobile. You can disregard that owner's manual. Mm -hmm. You don't ever have to change the oil or check the oil, 
but your automobile will prosper much more if you take care of it. Same thing with your soul, spirit, and body. Look at the scriptures. Make some time. Find some friends, either in a local congregation or a Christian group on campus, and devote some time and energy to your soul and spirit. Mm -hmm. It will pay eternally, not just for this short life, but for eternity. Makes so much sense. And I think it relates also to the choice of a major, right? And tying into what you said before about knowing yourself, uh, where has God gifted you and what do you enjoy doing ought to be part of a spiritual exercise, it seems to me, uh, to choose what it is you want to focus your studies on and ultimately do when you graduate, right? Well, in my opinion, having spoken and been several universities in my life, the university's greatest weakness is helping students decide a major. Hmm. And I don't mean to offend anybody, but the university has had a hard time distinguishing between hobbies and majors. Hmm. And as a student, I really enjoy this hobby. And my university offers a degree in this hobby. You can take courses. In fact, I encourage everybody, you know, you want to be a civil engineer or you go into med school or, you know, whatever. Also take some courses that you enjoy. Just don't major in it unless you really, really think that you can make a living. Talk to some people. I said, ask questions. You think you want to be a physician. Neither one of your parents are physicians. Find a physician and say, Tell me about medical school. Hmm. Tell me about your day-to-day life as a physician or engineer or teacher or professor or whatever. And ask questions about people doing your major as a career. Right. But universities do provide some counseling in this, right? Some opportunities. What, what, what should you look for at the university to help you ask these type of questions and explore career options? Yes. Uh, most large colleges, universities have a career center. And so, well, I'm not about to, I'm four years from graduation, go to the career center, talk about majors, mm-hmm. um, find professors. Uh, most departments have counseling people go to them, talk about counseling, about if I major in counseling, well, if I major in social work, what does that lead to? What kind of jobs are available? Whoa, yes. If you've got student loans, you'll need a job to pay back that student loan. If you have a family and children, you'll need money to pay for groceries. And so, you know, what kind of salary? You know, and again, you know, talk to people. Hey, I want to be... Um, social worker, what do social workers do? What money do they make? What could I expect to make coming out of the University of so-and-so? And so asking good questions. Uh, internships. Hmm. I think one of the best programs in the university is the engineering co-op program. My engineer son did co-op at every opportunity, still graduated in four years, But when he graduated, he got hired by 
one of the people he had co-opted with. Well, he knew the business. He knew what that meant. He knew what the work was like because he'd done it on co-op. You get a summer, they're not taking classes. Try to work even for free, volunteer. You want to be a lawyer? Go to a legal office and say, look, I just want to learn the legal business because I'm pre-law. Well, law's got lots of different facets. Try it out. And if at the end of the summer you say, I hate that, lesson learned. Mm-hmm. We need to find something else. If you say, I love that, valuable lesson learned. I really, really, really need to work real hard to make sure I can wind up in law school. That's helpful. Uh, you mentioned taking a class each semester that's not in your major, but that you would just enjoy taking. How do, how do you do that when you're sometimes so packed with uh, requirements to graduate that you really feel like you, you don't have that kind of freedom? If you'll take the nine to five approach, you will have that freedom. Hmm. After my second semester of my sophomore year, I never took less than 20 hours Wow. That's a lot of hours. 22, I think, was my peak. That's a lot of hours. But at my university, you were paying for it anyway, and you need to check the rules at your university. But oftentimes, 15 hours is a minimum, but you can take up to 18 or up to 21 for the same price. Now, if you're excited about your major, you can take more major courses. My Youngest son had a full ride scholarship, finished all his requirements in three years. Hmm. So if you've got advanced placement courses and things like that, you may have some slack. But even if you took an extra course, let's say you really love music, but you don't want to major in it because you're pre-law. Well, take a music course, a music appreciation course. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you appreciate music already. You're going to get a good grade. Now, when they count your GPA, they don't just count your major courses. Right. Your GPA is all your courses. Well, if you take a course you really enjoy, you're going to do well in it because, hey, you probably already know a good bit about it. And you're going to enjoy. You're going to read ahead because you want to. Mm -hmm. So taking that extra course, particularly if it's free, this seems like a good idea. Well, back to my youngest son, Andrew, finished in three years. He said, Dad, I'm ready to graduate. I've got a full year I don't need. I said, people would kill to be in your position. Oh, yeah. He took photography courses. And um, last week, a lady in our church, her daughter's getting married. They were going to hire him to shoot her pre-wedding pictures. Well, he gave them a huge discount because he's not counting on that for his livelihood. Mm-hmm. Took some beautiful pictures. Why? Because he took extra courses that didn't count toward his major because he had a, a free year. And he enjoyed that year. That's really helpful. I appreciate you saying a little bit more about that and clarify some of those things. Something else you've said in this interview and other times is the importance of knowing yourself and uh, accommodating in light of that. Can you share a little more of that, either personally or other students you've seen do that and uh, the results? Um, I'm an exercise physiologist, and one of our things is 
control of fatness. And so to really keep your weight at the best level, healthiest level, most effective level, you need to do two things. Get a little exercise and control what you eat. Now, early in my career, Stan, I was going to collect used diet books. Now, used because I could buy them for $1 at the used bookstore. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't making a tremendous amount of money, and I have five children. And so uh, I started collecting these diet books. And after just a little while, I realized even at $1, this is getting expensive. But more importantly, having room to store all these diet books. <laughs> well, as I thought about that, what I realized was the craziest diet you can imagine, the grapefruit diet, works for somebody, but not for everybody. On exercise, some people love to run, some people hate to run. Some people love to bike, some people hate to bike. Some people love to row, some people hate it. So for diet, for exercise, experiment. Try rowing, which most people haven't tried. If you love it, great. Try the stair stepper. Some people love the stair stepper. I don't. Some people love the treadmill. I hate the treadmill. Love to run outside. Hate the treadmill. Mm. How do I know that? I've tried it. I lived in Sweden. I tried the treadmill. I can't do it. I'd rather run on the ice, which I did, than run on the treadmill. So experiment with yourself. I think I want to be an engineer. Take the first engineering course. Did you love it or did you hate it? If you hated it, they don't get any better. They don't get any more fun. They get a little more fun, but not enough to make the difference. So do some experiments. Your first two years in college, that extra course, take an extra course in something you think you want to major in. If you don't like the course, we've got more thinking to do. So I I did research for a living but I think there's a lot to be said for experimenting. Sure. If it works, you've learned something very valuable. If it doesn't work, you've also learned something very valuable. You know, I thought I wanted this, but it's just not my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. I tell people in a master's program, and I know we're mostly talking to undergrads, but I tell people in a master's program, even if research is not required, do some research. Because if you love it, you might want to do a PhD. If you hate it, don't do a PhD. (laughs) Right, right. So would maybe one example be for some students that means studying alone, other students always study with others, those type of things? Absolutely. I mean, some people think that listening to music helps them focus. Well, try it both ways and look at your notes. Mm -hmm. My notes were 10 times better if I had music. Good to know. Try location. You know, I said, have an office. Try here. There's too much noise here. Right. Good to know. Let's try different. Let's go to the library. There won't be too much noise there. I highly recommend trying something and evaluating. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work, it's not for you. Mm -hmm. Now, You've got to pass your classes, so you can't say going to class doesn't work for me. Well, (laughs) right. 
Well, and you gave the example earlier of ADHD and how knowing that helped you make decisions on how you would structure your study time, where you would study and so on and so forth. I would go into work early because I knew I could work 730. It's very quiet on campus, Mm. but I could work till about 1130 and then I was shot. But at 1130, I'd go for a run often with my graduate students or a colleague I'd come back, work a little more, take a shower. I'm good for the rest of the day. Mm. Students come in. Prof, I know you're busy. Can I have a word with you? I'm not too busy for you. Because interruptions, when you're ADHD, my style of ADHD, as soon as we're done chatting, I'm back on task. There's no startup time if you're ADHD because we can't stay on a task any length of time anyway. So that helped me, and actually, I think God put me in the right profession because some professions you've got to really, really focus. Being a professor, stuff's constantly changing. Hmm. Students are coming in, colleagues are coming in, got to go to the lab to check on this experiment, Uh, phone rings, stuff's always happening. Well, ADHD, we're perfect for that. So, Phil, this is going to post, this interview is going to post on June 1st. And unless a student is in summer school, he or she is listening, thinking, uh, yeah, I've got a couple months here before I'm back in the classroom. Can you give any advice on how students can use their summer to prepare to apply these things when they go back to school in the fall? Absolutely. If you're watching this podcast, have a pencil and paper in your hand. Make yourself some notes and say, well, what Bishop said about this won't work for me. Good to know. You know yourself. But nine to five would work for me. I don't know anybody else doing that. Well, experiment. Try it out. Try it out in the summer. Come up with a plan. I said plan ahead. Well, June's a good time to plan for August when classes start up again. Mm, Good point. And so, hey, next August, I'm going to explore the library and find myself a study carol. And I'm going to talk to this professor about this course that hasn't even started yet. Wow. And so have yourself a plan written down and on the computer, transfer it from your written notes to the computer so you won't lose it. Mm -hmm. And then come August, bring it up on your computer. Here's my plan for fall this, 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 and I'm going to try this and this. It may not work. That's okay. We'll try it and see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually reminds me of something I used to do. Again, didn't discover this as an undergrad, but finally figured it out. Uh, in terms of preparing, I would, uh, I'd look up my professor's uh, research. Now, what have they written on? That gives me a little bit of an idea of what they're passionate about. Uh, and, uh, that kind of research when I got into the class with them, you know, I knew how to interpret a little better what they were saying, what they were assigning me to read, what they were expecting in the assignments. I just knew better what, what, uh, what was going on in his or her mind. Absolutely. And probably the most flattering thing you could ever say to a professor was, Hey, I saw your paper on X. Mm-hmm. And that brings to mind a question, mm-hmm. and how does this apply to X, Y, Z? You read my, they don't, they don't say <laughs> this, but you read my research. Now, 
if you look at a research paper, read the abstract. Yeah, just the the little the little paragraph at the beginning that tells you everything that's going to be talked about. And that's all you need to do and come up with a question or two from that abstract. Your name will stick with them. You may be in a class of 500 students, but you go up and say before class or after class in your paper. And that brings up this question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And for students who might not know how to even find those papers, they can just go to the librarian and say, Hey, I've got a class in kinesiology with Dr. Bishop. Could you point me to where I could see some of the things he's written, right? Is that the easiest way to go? Uh, Probably a little easier than that is Google their name. Look at their Vita. That will list all their publications. What's what's a Vita? Oh, uh, I have a list. I think mine is 70-something pages of my education, my research. I published a lot of papers in my career. My presentations reviews I have done for books and journals and those kind of things, a list of my graduate students, PhDs and master's students, mm-hmm. uh, people to call for references on me. So Vita is essentially a, a, a resume in, in the academic world where somebody could find out everything you've done professionally. Yes, sir. And then there's something called Google Scholar. And it's the academic side of Google. Mm-hmm. And you can find a lot of papers. But but this idea of looking at their Vita, their, their curriculum Vita, CV, or their resume, that'll carry you a long way. Good. And related to research, related to your professor, what do you think about these sites? And they weren't around when I was in, in school, so I don't have experience with this. But what do you think about these sites that are sort of rate your professor sites? There might even be one called that. Yes, um, I, I really don't know what to think. They tend to be the extreme students, students who really loved you or really hated you. Hmm. And so it probably wouldn't hurt. I hadn't thought of that. I'm glad you brought it up. But it wouldn't hurt to take a look. But look at those with a grain of salt and with some skepticism, hmm. because the professor's probably not as good as the very glowing ones say. Okay. And they're probably not as bad as the really bad ones say. Okay. But um, sometimes you have a choice. And I taught a course that was a required course. And so it was taught by two or three other faculty members. And so the first day of class, I would tell my students, okay, here's my class. Here's my exam structure. You'll have three exams. Here's my attendance policy. If you want to change sections, do it now. And so on some of those sites, it will probably give you a clue. You know, four people are teaching this. It looks like this lady would be the best one to take it from. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's not always clear, but sometimes. Sure. That's helpful. Where can students go to get more information on this, this entire topic of getting better grades and having more fun? I'm hoping that your, your counseling center on your university would tell you a lot of the same things. If you can find a professor who loves students, ask the question, what advice would you have for an entering freshman? What advice would you have for a junior? Hmm. 
You know, th- there's people, you know, even seniors, you're a freshman, you've got a senior in your Bible study or in your church. Some of them, if they make good grades. So ask questions, find people who are ahead of you, who've gone down the road a little further mm-hmm. and um, ask them. And again, that's another good reason to be in a local congregation to be on a campus Christian student group because you'll have a mix of students, including graduate students. Mm-hmm. And I knew so much more as a graduate student about being an undergraduate than I did as an undergraduate. Well, thanks, Phil. I have so enjoyed this conversation. The years of teaching have, uh, have been good to you. Uh, God has given you extraordinary wisdom and insight, and I think the listeners very much will appreciate so much of the honesty and the uh, transparency you shared just about uh, your journey and things you've seen in other students as some have done well and some haven't. So thanks for your time and your, your ministry all these years in the, in the university. The pleasure is mine, and I'll start in the way I started. I love students, and I want to see you do well and get your money's worth and learn the things you need to learn to be successful and enjoy life and life in relationship with the God of the universe. Good final word. Thanks so much. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash collegefaith and pass this show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. And if you haven't done so already, I would greatly appreciate your review of this show at Apple Podcast or Stitcher. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.